guys. Welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. As a longtime fashion blogger, I've loved connecting with my audience over the years on all things life, work, love, and everything in between. And I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call podcast a weekly catch up with your internet bestie, where I share personal life updates, recent recs and reviews, and discuss relevant, interesting topics for women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. I am so glad you're here. So let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I hope you guys are having a great week so far. I want to thank you guys for listening to last week's episode. I've gotten such great feedback from it. Obviously, Amanda was an amazing guest and shared lots of great nuggets of info about alcohol use and the various impacts it has on our health, on our social situations, on just dealing with everyday problems. And I've just gotten great feedback about it. So if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back to last week's episode and give that a listen. Like I said, such great info. Amanda has so many insights that are worth a listen, whether you are currently sober, sober curious, or neither of those things. If you're drinking and want to keep drinking, it's still great info. So thank you for the feedback. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Ironically, last night I had my first glass of wine and first alcoholic beverage since December. And just like she said, and just like I experienced before, I, of course, woke up in the middle of the night at like three o'clock and couldn't go back to sleep. So still rings true. Alcohol still (laughs) wakes me up in the middle of the night. But I was out with my friend Katie and I'll get into what we were doing in a few minutes. But it seemed like a good time to test the waters. And again, not saying I'm never going to drink again, but it certainly makes me not want to drink at least during the week. I've said this before, but lack of sleep really throws me off. Like I am usually such a good sleeper and I just need it to function and it it just throws off my whole day. I feel fine, like obviously not hungover or anything, but I'm I'm tired because I didn't get that great of sleep last night. So just really giving me something to think about there. But let's back up and talk about what I got into this week, because I actually I feel like a lot happened. So let's do it. So last week, I tried my hand at a new recipe for miso glazed cod, which is something that I love to order at Asian restaurants like Shinsei and Nobu. Never had miso. It's a very rich, buttery flavor. It's actually, I think it's a fungus, but you could buy the paste and use it in salad dressings and marinades, that kind of thing. And like I said, I've always loved miso glazed cod at restaurants and I wanted to give it a shot. So I googled some recipes and found that the kitchen had one for Nobu's exact recipe, or so I thought. And it required two to three days of marinating, so, and it was really easy to do. And then on Saturday night, I prepared it. And first of all, I think I did the cooking wrong. Like, I think I should have gotten the pan a lot hotter before I started putting the fish on there, because it started sticking to the pan And then it was kind of falling apart, like it got really flaky and wasn't really holding its shape. And honestly, when I took a bite of it after it was all said and done, I couldn't taste anything. It was like so bland. There was no miso flavor. I was really disappointed because it was like sitting in my fridge for three days. I was very eager (laughs) to try this recipe. And then I had these four large fillets of cod that tasted not great that I had to eat. And I'm I'm just not wasteful. Like I'm not going to throw that away. And so I luckily had a little bit of miso left. And so I spread it out real thin on each one to give it a little more flavor. But 
whatever that kitchen recipe was, was not right. It was not correct. I do not recommend using that, but I'm still determined to try it because it didn't taste anything like the ones that I've had at restaurants. So I know it's possible to have that miso flavor, but maybe the glaze is something that you really should add after it's cooked because I feel like throughout the cooking process, it just lost all of that. So anyway, that was a fail this week and I ate bland cod for like four days. So that sucked. But what doesn't suck is this salmon recipe that if you follow me on my personal Instagram, which is Merritt Beck, you'll know I've already I've made it like once a week for the last three or four weeks. It is so fucking addictive. It's honey garlic salmon. And I think the website's called the Chunky Chef. And I'm not saying it's the healthiest recipe. There's a lot of honey in it. There's some butter and olive oil. I use coconut aminos instead of soy sauce to lessen the sodium content, but it is so freaking easy to make. And the ingredient list is so short and it's just like a bunch of easy ingredients. It's like honey, garlic, salt, pepper, soy sauce, lemon juice. There's probably a couple other things, but it's stuff that you likely already have. So that makes it really easy and easy to make each week without having to go to the store every time you want to make it. And it is so good. It is sweet. Like it's obviously garlicky, but it kind of takes out the fishy flavor of salmon, which is something that I used to get really sick of. Like I could have a couple salmon a couple times a week and then I'd be like put out by it. Like I can't have it anymore for a while. And this I can eat truly every day (laughs) as somebody who has a massive sweet tooth. It totally satisfies those sugar cravings, obviously because there's honey in it, but it's it's, it can't be that unhealthy. I mean, the, the honey is really the worst part about it. And spread amongst four fillets with the amount of honey there is, I think it's just like 150 calories of honey per fillet. So it's not terrible. And it's just so good. And it's just like a, an easy recipe that I've been making consistently and just loving each time I make it. It's I cannot recommend it enough. Like I said, the Chunky Chef Honey Garlic Salmon. It is fabulous. Now, I've been in my house pretty much primarily cooking the last two months, and I'm really now in a place where I feel more comfortable going out to eat. I feel like I'm able to make healthier choices, and I have a little bit more willpower now that I've been doing this for a little while. And so I have been going out to eat more, but I've been trying to choose places where I know I'm going to find something I can eat and want to eat if it's healthy. And so Park House has been a really great option. They have a bunch of like simply grilled things. And so on Friday night, I went there with Emma and I've been the last couple of times I've been there, I've gotten their ribeye. It is so good. I get it with this peppercorn sauce. I need to try and make that at home, the peppercorn sauce. It's like one of my favorite things ever. Anyway, had a really fun dinner with her. And then on Saturday, my godchildren's fourth birthday party was that morning. And it was a princesses and superheroes theme, which, you know, say what you want about gender roles, but it was really, really cute. They had for the girls, it was like a princess class where they learned to walk with a book on their head. They had a little sing along to Frozen and then they read a book with Belle and Elsa. So they had some like live action actors, if you will. And there was also Spider-Man and Batman. It was just so cute. And something I really enjoyed and realized at this party was that they're at an age now where they're like fully interacting with other adults. A lot of times little children and toddlers are shy. But now that they're four, like they're having actual conversations with their friend's parents. Like one girl came in and one of the dads was like, oh, you look so cute. I love your princess costume. Like 
They were all, I don't know, I just, that I thought was adorable. I just really loved that, that they were like interacting with not only the other kids, but the parents. That was fun. And then the rest of the day was pretty chill. It was pretty cold and gloomy. So I just hung out with my dog. We watched a lot of TV, which will be good for you later on in this episode with Rex and Reviews. And then Sunday, I also did a whole lot of nothing, but the SAG Awards were Sunday. And I did want to mention a few people's outfits. Megan Fahey is a goddess. Uh, She looked incredible in this beautiful white sequined Ralph Lauren dress. It had a big cutout and like, I don't want to say that not many people could pull it off, but let's just say she pulled it off extremely well. She's just so gorgeous. Like it's hard not to be just so jealous of her. (laughs) I just find her so beautiful. And then some other dresses I really loved were really bright. So Viola Davis was wearing this incredible canary yellow. It was almost chartreuse, but not quite. It was a Valentino gown with long sleeves and an interesting, almost scalloped neckline. It was so sophisticated, but super eye-catching, which I think is perfect for the SAG Awards. That was a very popular color at the SAG Awards. I also loved Niecy Nash, who was in a Vera Wang gown in chartreuse, and the silhouette was absolutely stunning on her. It felt like it just was molded to her body. It was so beautiful. And then you guys know I always love Zendaya's picks, and I loved the color and shape of her gown, but I truthfully didn't love those rosette details. I don't know why they just weren't for me, but I loved her beauty look and how she brought out or whoever her makeup artist was brought out the pale pink of the dress in her eye makeup. It just looked so stunning. She really can do no wrong in my book. Moving on to Monday, I had lunch with my friend Dana and I've mentioned this before, but I don't usually schedule lunches or appointments in the middle of the day because it kind of disrupts my focus. But Dana is somebody I haven't seen in so long. And so I definitely wanted to see her and made it happen. And we had lunch at Park House again. And I had the tuna poke bowl, which was super good. I love their sushi. I think they hired one of the sushi chefs from Nobu. I cannot remember if that's the right restaurant, but they really nailed the sushi menu. And I just, I, I always love getting that. I also realized that Park House is a great place to go on a weekday at lunch because there are a lot of men having little business lunches there on the terrace. So I may be frequenting there during the week a little bit more often. And then on Wednesday night, I hosted Mahjong and I was so excited because I'd ordered these 2023 cards. So if you're not familiar with Mahjong, each year they release a new set of cards with different plays you can play. So you're supposed to stick with that card and only play lines from that card when you play that year. And so I ordered them on Walmart thinking all was hunky dory and they arrived and I was so excited. And as we were opening them to play, we realized it was actually a 2022 card on the inside and a 2023 card on the outside. So I have totally been scommed as Heather McMahon would say, and I'm pretty mad about it. (laughs) Like I, I didn't realize Walmart was like eBay now that they have like individual vendors that aren't being checked. So that's $60 down the drain. I am going to try and get a refund because that's bullshit. But I also ordered a fresh round of 2023 cards from the National Mahjong League website, which is, I think, where you're supposed to get them. But I was just like so eager and thought they were ready. So that's why I ordered them from Walmart. But in actuality, the legit cards don't ship until April. So we're going to have to be playing with these stupid cards (laughs) that I got until then. Uh, I should have realized because the color on them wasn't quite right. Like it looks like some bootleg version of a Mahjong card, even though the design looks the same, the colors aren't quite right with the printing. 
Anyway, so that was a bummer, but I am looking forward to playing the new card and I can report back that I am off of my losing streak. I think I won once or twice this week. So cheers to me. And then Liza, my assistant, has been out the last two days. She's at a bachelorette weekend for one of her friends. And so I've kind of had an easy Thursday and Friday when she's not here. I take a little more liberty with my schedule. I can wake up a little bit later, take more time on my workouts. I don't have to. I don't know. I just I let myself kind of do what I want when she's not here. I still work, obviously. But like today, I got a mani-pedi. I'm going to get my hair cut later. But uh, it's been nice to have a couple days to take it easy. And now we are to last night's story. So I went to dinner with my friend Katie, who I haven't seen in a couple weeks, and she leaves for Aspen in a couple days or tomorrow, actually. And so I wanted to grab dinner with her and catch up. And earlier this week, I made a reservation at Restoration on Hardware, not realizing that a massive storm was coming in Thursday. Of course, how could you know? Forecast is always wrong. I feel like in Dallas, And the last time there was a major storm, it wasn't actually that major and there was like no damage. So, you know, I thought we'd be good. Uh, As we got closer to the time last night, I texted her and I was like, what do you think? Like, I'm seeing some hail. It's looking kind of (laughs) scary outside. And we decided to risk it. We moved the reservation up an hour. So originally we were going at 715. We went at 615 thinking that Based on the forecast and the radar that I was looking online that we'd be out before the bad stuff came because on the radar, it looked like there was going to be a wall of green because, you know, on radar, it's like green and then it was the lightest version. And then when it gets heavier and worse, it gets more like purple. And so it looked like it was going to be green for a while. So I wasn't super worried. I should also mention, if you're not familiar with Restoration Hardware restaurants, they're usually on the rooftop. And so it's like a glass encased restaurant on the rooftop during a big storm. Probably not the smartest decision, but here we are. So, and again, I want to reiterate that I made this reservation before I knew there was a massive storm coming in. So anyway, so we sat down right away at 610. We got there early. We placed our orders and we started talking. And Then a woman came over, another server who wasn't our server. And she was like, ladies, I might kindly ask you to uh, come with me. And we were both like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And as we're getting up, we're grabbing our bags. We grab our wine. We'd both gotten a glass of wine and our food comes up and the servers are being told to put the food down and come with us. So the entire restaurant is evacuated from the top floor, and we are huddled together in the stairwell while this massive storm comes through. There's a tornado warning, which is why they moved us all into the stairwell. So guests, servers, the hostesses, all of that, the chefs were all in the stairwell. (laughs) And one of the hosts, one of the maitre d's, decides to give us a performance and he starts singing a variety of songs, including I Will Survive, which we all joined in on at that point. We sang a woman happy birthday. We just were all having a jolly old time. We could hear the wind howling outside. Rain was starting to come in through the door to the outside at the bottom of the staircase. So we kind of moved up a little bit. It was wild, but it actually made, I mean, obviously it's making for a great story. But after about like 20 minutes of us kind of hanging out and huddling in there, they gave us the all clear and we went back up. They reheated or re-prepared our food. I don't know which is which, but they made it taste like it was fresh again. And then they served us and we had a delightful meal. I had a salad with shrimp and she had a lobster roll and we split the truffle fries. 
And we had a second glass of wine. So (laughs) it ended up being a really fun night and kind of hilarious. And I've got to applaud the Restoration Hardware staff. They like took it in stride and did a great job keeping us feeling calm and entertained. It was, I can't recommend them enough. So if you're ever worried about being treated well in a storm, go to Restoration Hardware. I'll be sure to post some video footage (laughs) and photos of our experience at the stairwell on the Beck and Call podcast Instagram page if you want to check it out. It was hilarious. And then I have one more thing to say because I was really irritated by this. So this morning I took my dog on a walk like I always do. And I've now I've been doing this one kind of longer route that takes me all the way around the neighborhood to the end. And then I come back up and go back up streets. So I'm, I'm just really trying to extend this walk so I don't have to loop through each individual street. And I get about 3.5 miles in when I do this. But anyway, we're walking by this house like a month or two ago, and a housekeeper has just gotten to the property. She's in her car, getting out of her car, and the owner of the home is standing in the doorway of the house and opens the door, and the dog runs out to greet the housekeeper. And I assume the dog is on like an electric fence system, so I'm not that worried about the dog coming through the gate because that would be crazy, right? Or if they did, I'm not assuming it would be an aggressive dog. And well, I was wrong. So the dog bypasses the housekeeper and runs directly at Reese's. It's this little asshole of a dog. I don't know what it was. It was probably like a terrier chihuahua mix or something. Just a tiny little asshole. And it starts attacking my dog, like trying to bite her. And I'm like trying, I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like trying to almost kick this dog because I wasn't, I couldn't really pick Reese's up because she was moving around a lot. And I was just trying to keep them separated. And it took both of the women, like several minutes to get over to me. Like I wasn't going to try and pick up the dog. It's not my dog. Like I'm, it's not my responsibility to get your dog back to you. Like if you let your dog off the leash and it comes to me, you got to come get it. But like, I couldn't move. I didn't want to move further away from the dog because it kept following us. So I just like stayed there and tried to put my foot like to block the dog. So anyway, that happened like two months ago. And I was like, hopefully they learn their lesson. They won't let this happen again. Well, this morning I'm walking Reese's same direction. And I guess the, one of the kids is leaving for school. It looks like the dad's in the car. And the woman who I think was at the door the first time was in her robe outside. And the dog was just in the driveway. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to happen again. Instead of grabbing the dog, like they know this happens when it sees other dogs. She doesn't grab the dog. The dog runs over and starts trying to attack my dog again. And like, keep in mind, both times, Reese's and I are just minding our own damn business walking in the street. Like we're not on their property. We're not even on their side of the street. And this dog comes from their driveway behind a fence and comes through the fence because it's one of those open fences, like a wrought iron or something, and just goes straight for my dog again. And they both kind of, the daughter and the mom both kind of look at me before taking action and like their dog gets a couple of attempted bites in and I use my foot again. And I'm like, can you please come get your dog? Like, I'm, I'm so mad at this point that this has happened a second time and they've done nothing about it. I don't know. I just get really irritated by stuff like that, especially as a control freak. Like, I don't know. This isn't my dog. I don't know how it's going to react. Like, what if it was a bigger dog and I couldn't use my foot to, you know, keep the dog away from my dog? Like, what if it actually got a good bite in? It could have injured my dog. Like, 
If your dog is aggressive at all, don't let it outside if it's not on a leash. Don't let it outside if you don't have an electric fence. If you see a dog coming, grab the dog. I mean, there are so many things that they could do to keep this from happening. And it's happened to me twice now and they've not done anything. So anyway, PSA to people out there. If you do have an aggressive dog, please do what you can to like make it not other people's problem when they're simply minding their own business and walking by your house. I just... I don't understand. Like if this happens another time, I may spray that dog with pepper spray. I really, I really might. And I know that's terrible, but I don't want my dog to get bit. And like, they know that this is a thing that their dog does and they don't take action. So, you know, fuck those guys. Anyway, we got away without incident, but I was like totally pissed off for the rest of my walk. Just like under my breath being like those motherfuckers. I hate that little shit. It's like those one of those wiry haired, white, tiny, yappy little dogs. Ugh. Anyway, now that I've ranted about my evil dog encounter, let's get into some Rex and reviews. Okay, so I watched a lot last week. <laughs> like I say that every week. But this week I watched the Murdoch murders, which is timely because today Alex Murdoch got sentenced to life in prison. He deserves it. He's totally guilty. But anyway, The Murdoch Murders on Netflix, it's a three-part docuseries about the Murdoch family and the deaths, alleged murders now convicted, he's now convicted of murder, that have happened in and around that family. And I wasn't super familiar with that family because obviously I'm not from the area, but they're very powerful. Their family goes back a long way and are in powerful positions. They're lawyers and other, I think, stately people. And so they've been able to like finagle their way out of issues that they've had in the past, legal issues. And the first two episodes focus on this boat crash, which I think we can all remember. I remember this and how it was in the news several years back. But basically, Alex's son is drunk driving a boat with several of his friends inside, and he runs into a pillar that's part of a bridge, and the boat basically like lands on rocks. Several of the people are ejected, and then a girl goes missing as, and is later found dead. And how Alex and their grand and the grandfather, I can't remember what his name was, but they tried to cover it up and cover up that Paul was driving the boat and tried to pin it on one of the other guys that was on the boat. And then the third episode highlights the death of the family's housekeeper, as well as kind of shining light on the murder of Alex's wife, Maggie, and their son, Paul, although they don't get into too much detail with that because of the trial that was ongoing as they were filming this doc. It is so good. It is so interesting. It is, it's infuriating because of course they're powerful and able to wiggle out of tight corners and get themselves out of sticky situations that they've put themselves in and just basically have no respect for law enforcement, no respect for the other people around them. They are simply, they only care about themselves and making sure that they're safe and good. So if you're a true crime fan, definitely check out the Murdoch murders on Netflix. There are only three episodes, like I said, and I bet they'll do another couple episodes to cover the trial and all of that once they've had time to, because like I said, he just got convicted yesterday and sentenced today. So really good Netflix doc. And then the other thing that I watched on Netflix this week is The Strays. And this is a horror thriller movie that stars Ashley Maidquay, who is actually a former influencer. I met her a long time ago when I was working for Reward Style. She's British and she's so nice. And so I was like excited to see her in a movie. And she was in 
that amazing show Revenge. Do y'all remember that show? She's in that. And that's what I really remember her from, like how she got famous, I think. And she's been in a bunch of other things, but that's definitely the role she's known for. But anyway, this movie is about a woman who is obviously troubled and is trying to escape her past and start over. She has money issues. That's clear. Um, but you don't know exactly what she's escaping or leaving behind. And she starts over and her new life is sort of pleasant feel like, if you will. Her life seems perfect. They've got money. She's in with the in crowd in town. She has a great job. She's got a loving husband and two children. But as you watch the movie, you realize there's something more to the story, like something more she left behind or something she's not telling her new family or just she has this past that she's trying to keep quiet. And it literally comes back to haunt her later. What I loved about this movie was you didn't know what that was for a long time. You couldn't put your finger on what exactly she gave up and what her life was like before and what she escaped. And then once you do find out, I kind of feel like the movie went downhill after that. Like the ending was like it just ended. I don't I don't know. Watch it. I think it was entertaining at least, but I wouldn't say it was very satisfying to watch (laughs) once I finished it. But it is it is a compelling mystery, if you will. And it's definitely a thriller in that you're just not sure what's going to happen. You're not sure who's going to get hurt, who's going to get taken down. Anyway, give it a shot if you want. It is called The Strays and it's on Netflix. And then after that, (laughs) speaking of horror movies, I watched a movie called Old on HBO Max. It's by M. Night Shyamalan and it came out in 2021. And I remember looking at the reviews when it came out and being like, oh, this looks like it sucks. And so I didn't watch it. And because I'm sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel with new stuff to watch, I was like, okay, now's the time I'll give it a try. I actually really enjoyed it. It's it's about a group on vacation. They're all traveling separately, but they get trapped together on a beach that seems to speed up the aging process. And I just found it really fascinating. I thought it was a really interesting and unique storyline and premise. And There were parts that were cheesy at the end. I feel like some of it could have been a little more sophisticated. I think the way they ended it was it kind of was dumb, but I I don't think that takes away from the movie. I think it really was a good movie otherwise. And if you love thrillers, if you love horror movies, I, I think this is a great, great movie to watch. I mean, I think M. Night Shyamalan has so many good ones like The Village. He's done so many good horror flicks, and this is a good one, too. And then after I watched Old, I started a show called Hello Tomorrow, which is on Apple TV, and it stars Billy Crudup, and he plays a real estate agent selling properties on the moon in a Pleasantville-like future. And I know I've said Pleasantville twice in this episode, but it really it really rings true. Like all of the all of the outfits and the cars and the homes look very retro and vintage looking. But of course, they have this amazing futuristic technology. There are lots of robots. They're selling property on the moon. It's obviously in the very far future. So it's this weird juxtaposition of it's in the future, but with vintage vibes. Anyway, within the first episode, you figure out that the whole thing is a scam. Like he's selling, he and his salespeople are selling properties that don't exist and that people will never go to the moon. And I guess this is where my interest kind of stopped, not because it's a scam. Like, I think that's a good storyline, but I sort of loved the futuristic aspect of it. And I was sort of hopeful that they would actually bring space travel into it somehow. But because it's a scam, it's literally just it's about these real estate agents, their lives, how they work together on a team, 
uh, the main guy trying to keep the scam from becoming public awareness, public knowledge. Uh, it's a really interesting concept, but I would say I'm a little less interested in it now that it's not actually focused on space. And then after that, I watched a movie called We Have a Ghost, which is on Netflix. And it's about this family who moves into a new home and they quickly discover a ghost occupies the attic. And what I love about this movie is that this is not a ghost story about spooky, scary ghosts. It's a story about friendship. So the youngest son is the one who discovers the ghost in the attic, whose name is Ernest, by the way. And he immediately forms a bond and like shows interest in getting to know Ernest and figuring out his life story, how he died, how he came to be in their attic. And it's really a story of like empathy and friendship and compassion. And I just, I loved it. It was so heartwarming. There are times it's not heartwarming. Like his family, his dad and brother seem like total assholes and like not, they don't care what thinks and just like want fame. And that's a separate kind of learning lesson in the movie. But overall, I thought it was really cute. I thought the dialogue was pretty funny. David Harbour actually plays the ghost and he is amazing in this role, really hysterical. So it's sort of a feel good family movie. I feel like any age could watch it. It's really cute. And then last but not least, I started a show called Shadow and Bone, and it's a fantasy TV series that's based on the books of the same name, which I have not read. And there are monsters, there's magic, there's war. It's got a lot of elements I love in the fantasy genre. But as someone who hasn't read the books, I did find there to be a lot of key details in the first couple of episodes that were obviously very important. And every time I looked at my phone, I had to rewind because I felt like I was missing something important. And so I've only gotten through like two episodes. I've been very slowly watching it, but I do think it's something I'm going to love. I just, like I said, it has all the great elements of a fantasy TV series. So if you like magic, like if you're a Harry Potter fan or say you liked the Hunger Games, I feel like it's sort of like that too. Definitely check out Shadow and Bone. As far as I know, there are two seasons. I haven't looked beyond that. And if they're still making it, I'm not sure, but I like it so far. Now let's take a break to hear a word from this week's sponsor. it's time to remove those gloves and freshen up your nails for spring. The easiest way to do it is with Olive and June's Manny system, which has everything you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. I've been doing my nails at home since I started using Olive and June in the fall, and it's so much easier to fit into my busy schedule than a lengthy and costly trip to the salon each week. I love that I can do my nails at my desk and continue working on my computer while the polish dries. I'm killing two birds with one stone. It's perfect. My favorite part of Olive and June's Manny system is the poppy, which is a handle you can put over the top of a nail polish bottle to give you a better grip for more even steady strokes every single time. I just won't do my nails without it anymore. You guys know I have bad hand dexterity, and so this has totally changed the game for me. I've saved so much money by doing my own manicures these last six months, and I've saved so much time by being able to freshen up my nails on my own, which is kind of crucial because I'm shooting outfits for the blog every week and I want my nails to look great all the time. So it's wonderful that I'm able to do my own nails and have them looking great constantly. If you're ready to upgrade your nail routine, visit oliveandjune.com slash beck and call for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash beck and call for 20% off your first Manny system. It's been a while since I've done an influencing behind the scenes episode and I've covered 
the main topics like how we make money, brand partnership, the highs and lows of being an influencer. But I wanted to open up the floor so you guys could ask me specific miscellaneous questions and also share some of your assumptions about influencers and my reactions to those and just kind of share my thoughts on the whole thing. I've been blogging since 2011, so I've been doing this for quite a while. Um, and I feel like I have a decent perspective having worked on both the affiliate side, working at Reward Style, now known as LTK, and also being an influencer and blogger myself. So hopefully this answers some of your questions and clears up some assumptions you might have or whatever. I just, I hope it's an entertaining episode and you definitely want to hang around for the last segment. It's a really good one and it is not influencer related. First, let's start off with your assumptions about influencers. So I'm going to read through these and then react to them individually. So this first one that you guys submitted was everything influencers do is to link and earn money. Now, I should have said this before, but I want to preface all of my answers with this is just my opinion on how I do things. I can't speak for how other influencers and bloggers and content creators do their stuff. But when I started blogging in 2011, reward style didn't exist yet. And I didn't realize that you could even make money as a blogger. It wasn't until reward style reached out to ask if I wanted to be a beta tester and test out their platform that I knew there was even a potential to earn. And at that point, there weren't many advertisers on the platform. So even when I was linking using affiliate links, I wasn't making much right off the bat. It wasn't until several years down that I was making enough to quit my full-time job. So it was it was certainly not something I got into doing thinking I was going to make money. I started it as a creative outlet and a hobby when I was living in Houston. I had just gone through a breakup. I didn't love my job. And it was just something fun for me to do, to share the things that I was purchasing. And eventually I did start making money and it's been a very lucrative business. And so, of course, if I want to make money, I do have to link a lot of things, but I didn't get into it to make money. And I would say a decent amount of my content is not commissionable. I share recipes. I share fitness content. I share my day to day life. I share my dog. For the first year of the podcast, I did not make any money. But like with any business, when you see potential and you see opportunity for growth, you want to reach that. And so in order to make more money, my audience needs to grow. I need to be creating more and more content. And a lot of that content does need to be something I can earn. So whether that's an affiliate link or it's sponsored content with a brand partner, the more of that you do, the more money you're going to make. So I guess my answer to that assumption is kind of yes and no, because if I stopped linking stuff, I wouldn't make money. And, you know, I know nobody's asking me to do that, but I also don't think every piece of content that I create is for the goal of making more money, if that makes sense. All right, moving on. The next one says influencers get everything for free. (laughs) Some might. I don't. I, I feel like early days when I was first blogging and influencing was becoming a thing thanks to Instagram, I was getting a lot more press packages and getting gifted stuff offered to me. But as time went on, I realized I wasn't interested in those things. Like I get very few press packages now. I don't accept gifted product unless it's from a brand that I already love and I'm already linking to organically. Like I'm not going to accept just like random free shit because it's wasteful. And oftentimes I don't know what to do with it. Like I remember I got a press package from some beauty brand. It was like a mass market one that you'd find at a drugstore. I can't remember which one. 
but they sent me every shade they had of concealer, every shade they had of foundation. And it was so wasteful. Like I might've been one or two shades and they could have asked me what shades I think I was closest to instead of sending me every single bottle they have, because what am I going to do with the rest of it? I ended up giving it away, but I just, I just think it's silly to gift like that, especially if you don't know if someone's going to use it. I'd much rather people reach out to me before they attempt to send me something, because then I can say, uh, no, I'm good. I really appreciate the offer, but I don't accept gifted product in exchange for a promotion, or I just am trying to be less wasteful and want to make sure that I'm only accepting things that I'm actually going to use and love. And then in terms of travel, this was something I tried to do early on was like get get hotel rooms for free. And I think, I think I managed to do that a couple of times or at least get a discount, but I don't do that anymore. It's just not worth it because what if I end up not enjoying my stay or have an issue of some kind? I don't want to feel obligated to post about it. I'd much rather just shell out the money myself for where I actually want to stay without an obligation to post. And then I certainly never get like meals for free. Like sure, I'll get the occasional gifted piece of clothing. But I would say 75 to 80% of the clothes that I feature, I am buying myself. And I'll talk a little bit more about that with another assumption that's coming up. But I would say, no, influencers do not get everything for free, or at least I don't. Um, I'm sure that some get more free things than others, depending on their audience and you know what brands want to work with them and all of that stuff. But I've really limited in the last five or six years the kind of free stuff that I get just because I don't need it. All right, moving on. So influencers sell the merch they get from press packages for their own financial gain. So again, I can only speak for myself, but I don't think I've ever sold anything that I've gotten in a press package. When I used to get a lot of beauty products, I would hold on to them and like put them in a closet or put them in a bag. And then when my friends came over or I felt like I was getting too much, I'd give them to friends, my housekeeper. I don't think I've ever sold anything that I've gotten in a press package. Uh, Clothing wise, again, probably give it to my housekeeper or donate it. Now I have sold items on Poshmark that were used in a collaboration, like I was paid to wear it. And it's usually something that I or several times that year and just didn't end up wearing the next season or what have you, just like any other clothing item that I might sell on Poshmark. But whenever I do sell items that are from collaborations or items that are gifted, I price them very low. Like I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to sell them and earn what, you know, their original price was because I didn't pay for it. But I will sell it on Poshmark because I want to give you guys a chance to get them and like doing giveaways and stuff isn't really my style, but I price them really low. So like if it's a $400 dress, you could get it for $20. Like I feel like that's pretty nice. All right. The next assumption is you only recommend things that you can make money on. So this is sort of like the first one, but it's worded a little differently. So I wanted to answer it as well. While that's definitely not true for me, like I definitely own things that I can't link and will share them even if I can't make money on them, like things from Zara or things from designers like Celine that <laughs> that I can't earn a commission on, like from their website, for example. I have this hat that I got recently that I love. It's just a baseball cap and it's totally extravagant and ridiculous, but I can't link to it because they are not on LTK. Like I buy stuff all the time that cannot be linked just because I love it. But I will say that when I'm shopping 
like actively looking for things, not necessarily coming upon something that I love, but I've, if I'm shopping for something in particular, like a black dress or a new pair of shoes, I do try to find stuff that I can link to because that is, again, like the main way that I earn an income. So it would be foolish of me to avoid that. It would be foolish of me to avoid finding links for things. But that's not the only reason I buy clothes. I have plenty of clothes that are old that I rewear all the time. In my stories, you see you see repeats constantly that I'm like, sorry, this is old. Sorry, this is old. <laughs> or like this color is no longer available or whatever. And I do that constantly. So certainly not everything I post is just to link it for you. But like I said before, it definitely crosses my mind as I'm shopping that I'm mostly buying things that I can link to because otherwise I won't make money. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to combine a couple of these because they're kind of the same. So one assumption is you need a great CPA to manage income, taxes, etc. And then the other one was you get to write off clothes, shoes, travel, etc. Things that you buy for taxes. First of all, yes, I absolutely do have a CPA. (laughs) I am not a money person. I'm not a tax person. I need all the help I can get in that arena. I feel like my CPA is is generally pretty conservative, but it's a young group and they they represent or they work with a lot of people in my industry and in tech and that kind of thing and know it's an evolving industry and that I mean they're generally pretty risk averse, but they'll try and help me wherever they can because the goal is to try and lessen the amount of taxes you you have to pay each year because they're so astronomical. So for travel, that's an easy one. I can write off nearly every trip because I'm either shooting content or I have meetings or, for example, international trips where I do the detailed destination guides that I'm creating and selling. I'm selling that content. I can write those off. So I definitely write off travel whenever I can. I don't do it for everything, obviously. Like if it's a fun trip where I'm not shooting any content or have any meetings, obviously not writing that off. I can write off my home office and the room I do my podcasting recording in, which is downstairs. And then because I am technically selling clothes, the items that I buy and promote on my blog and Instagram to sell, I can write that off too legally. Now, know that this is a very much evolving industry. It's constantly changing. So this may not always be the case, but currently I'm allowed to do that. And so I do as much as possible. All of those things are considered business expenses because without them, I couldn't earn money. So anyway, like I said before, I'm not an expert in any of this, so I cannot get into any nitty gritty details, but you can obviously ask your CPA or do some Googling. There's information on this in the, in the, on the internets, on the interwebs. So um, anyway, all of that to say, yes, I can write off a lot, but they're all considered business expenses. So it's legit. All right. This next one reads influencers in your space are highly competitive with you. I don't think so. Actually, I feel like everyone generally knows there's enough space for everyone and everyone's going to have a little overlap with their following, but we also probably have our own followers as well that follow us and not the other people in our city. I think where I have felt competitive in the past has been when I feel like something has been ripped off of my content without credit or any kind of acknowledgement that that's where they got the idea. Now, with that said, 
I'm sure I do a lot of things that other influencers that I don't even follow are doing, and I might not even know that. So it's probably not even within my right to be upset sometimes with that stuff. And like, we all get influenced by things. We're inspired constantly by the things around us, the people we follow. Sometimes it's not, you don't even know that you're taking that inspiration and kind of using it for yourself. But that, that has irritated me in the past. I feel like that's just the nature of the game. And also you're going to deal with that in any industry. So that's not really anything new, but I wouldn't say as a whole, it's really that competitive. All right. This next one reads, most influencers are independently wealthy or from wealthy families, and they're not really making their living from being an influencer. So you guys know, I've talked about this before. I grew up very privileged. I, my college was paid for my first couple of cars were paid for. I never had student loans. I never had any kind of car loans or payments. Like I've been, I've been very lucky to have support over the years. And even, and I don't even know if I told you guys this, but when I left reward style to do the blog full time, I had moved into a room at my mom's townhouse. My mom used to own a property here in Dallas and she wasn't living here. She just would visit. And when I decided I was going to leave my full-time job to pursue blogging, I knew it was going to be a risk money-wise. And she let me move into the townhouse. And so for those first two years, I didn't pay rent. So I want to acknowledge that. I also want to acknowledge that most of my Chanel bags are gifts that I've received from my mom or my grandmother over the years for like graduation or my birthday or something. I've also had help with securing the loan for my house and with the down payment on my last house and this house. So like acknowledging all of that, I've obviously lived a very privileged life and have been given a lot of wonderful things over the years and had a lot of support both emotionally, mentally, financially, all of the things for my family. So that is all true. And because of that, when I first started blogging, I didn't have all this pressure to pay off loans or do anything like that. Like when I made money from jobs, I would pay it towards my monthly rent or the bills I had to pay or dinners and groceries and just fun stuff on the weekends and travel. Like the money that I make can go to those things and I'm not like paying off debt, I guess is what I'm saying. So that definitely gave me a leg up and I'm not going to refute that. That is obviously true. But that doesn't discount that I've also been successful in this job. I definitely don't need help financially in that regard. I've been very lucky that this has been a lucrative business for me. I wouldn't be able to have a full-time employee otherwise. Everything I pay for now, whether it's my car payments or my house payments or paying my employee or paying myself and the clothes that I buy and all of that stuff is coming out of my salary from blogging and now the podcast. And so I, I'm very lucky in that regard. I cannot speak to how other influencers do this or what their financial situation is or their background or anything like that, or what kind of assistance they've gotten or haven't gotten. That's just my experience. But I just wanted to be transparent with you guys because I know there are a lot of questions about how we make money and how much money we make and all of that. Anything having to do with our income is definitely a question often asked. And there's not a lot of info out there. And what I can say is that what influencers make varies widely. Like some people I know don't make much money using affiliates and rely only on brand partnerships or just don't earn that much at all. Some people are wildly successful making millions of dollars a year. 
I'm certainly not making millions of dollars a year, but I am doing very well. I am very grateful that this is my job. I love to do it. I love to connect with you guys. And I'm grateful that I'm able to also make good money doing it. I can't complain. But anyway, to answer or respond to the assumption, most influencers are independently wealthy and they're not really making their living from being an influencer. I disagree. I do think, like I said, it varies widely, but I would say people wouldn't do it if it wasn't lucrative. If people weren't successful at it, they would stop doing it because (laughs) I don't know, like why, why would I put all of my personal life out there for everyone to dissect and like you, you get negative commentary. I mean, there's so many downsides to this job. I love, I love it. And I'm able to look past some of the cons of this job, but not all of it is sunshine and rainbows. I wouldn't do it if I wasn't making money. (laughs) Like I just, I wouldn't, I would have, I would either not work if I really had that much family money, or I would do something else that did, that wasn't public facing. I do it because I love it. But what keeps me around is that I also have a decent paycheck that I can look forward to. So all of that to say, both things can be true. People can have generational wealth and also be successful in their job. They're not mutually exclusive. All right, moving on to the next one. The toll that constantly turning your life into content takes away from the human experience. So I don't know. Yes and no. I feel like not everything I do for content. Like I know when to put my phone away. I don't always have my phone out at dinner. If I'm on dates, I never bring out my phone. I'm very good about that in social situations, but I, I feel like maybe sometimes when I'm traveling, I'm probably too focused on creating the content than just enjoying it because things are so beautiful. And I do want to share it with you guys, but I don't approach every part of my life that way. So kind of yes and no. The next assumption, you get tons of fabulous PR packages. So I used to, and I wouldn't say they were all fabulous. Like I would get stuff that I didn't ask for and didn't want. It was just very wasteful, like I said earlier, but I definitely don't anymore. I prefer that the brand reaches out to me for my address and to make sure it's something that I actually want and need and will use and my followers will like. I just want to make sure it's like on brand and a good match for me. And yeah, so not anymore, but I bet other influencers get a lot of PR packages, but I have limited them for myself. And then the final assumption is influencers have a poor work-life balance. I agree with this. I think this is something most of us struggle with just because we're at the mercy of Instagram's algorithm at this point, and we have to keep posting content to remain relevant and to be seen and Unfortunately, the algorithm doesn't really allow for content creators to take breaks. If you post less, your content is seen less. And like, I'll take a day off of posting on stories. It's very rare. But when I do, I notice an almost immediate drop in my story views the next time I post. So it's just a negative cycle in that way. So I agree. Work-life balance is off. I do a lot of work on the weekends. I'm usually never on my computer, but I'm on my phone. Like I'm constantly doing something on my phone. Um, I have done a better job in the last few years with having an employee, having a better work-life balance. Like I pretty much leave my laptop upstairs when Liza leaves on Friday and then don't go back upstairs until Monday. So I've done a better job about that. I feel like I've done a better job about being better with my social life and not letting work dictate everything. But yeah, generally I think most influencers probably struggle with this. 
All right. So that's it for the assumptions, but I also got a lot of great questions. And since we're close to the hour mark, I think I might hold off on answering those and save those for another episode in another month or so. So thank you for sending those in and I will definitely answer those questions in a future episode, but let's get into the final segment of this week. It is a juicy one. Instagram stories on Sunday or Monday. I can't remember which day I posted this, but Sunday I decided to get back on the apps. It's I've taken a hiatus really since November. I haven't even looked at the app since then. And on Sunday I decided now's the time. So I got back on the apps and because I was doing nothing on Sunday, I spent a good deal of time swiping and getting matches going and starting conversations with people. And of course I came across some lovely dating app profiles. <laughs> and I'm being sarcastic, clearly. Um, men do not know what they're doing, but one prompt in particular, I feel like I see so often and it makes me so mad. And I brought it up to you guys on Instagram. The one that I shared was like, you should not go out with me if you know, likey the gym, like, first of all, stop talking like a toddler, be a fucking grown up. But also the fact that he and other men put so much emphasis on being active or fit or whatever, because Basically, what they're saying is they want somebody thin or fit, which it's fine if you have those preferences. Like we all have our own physical preferences when it comes to people we want to date. But to put that in your profile to me is just gross. And this is coming from somebody who works out constantly. Like I, you might say I'm addicted to working out and I would still never swipe right on a guy like that because it's like that's all he cares about is how you look. It's not your personality. It's how hot you look next to him. And basically that what you're worth all has to do with your appearance. So (laughs) I just hate that so much. And it sparked, it inspired me. It sparked an idea to hear from you guys and hear what dating app prompts bothered you the most. So I asked you to submit some, but I also came up with some myself. So let's go through some of those. Future me jumping in here at this point, when I was recording the podcast, I realized that I was late to a haircut and then I had to go to dinner right afterwards. So this part I'm about to record, I'm recording several days after the original recording. So just in case I sound any different, it's Monday morning (laughs) and I'm not awake yet. All right. So let's get into those prompts. And the first one that I feel like I see on nearly every man's dating profile that annoys the hell out of me. is don't take yourself too seriously. I feel like I see this one constantly. And it's it's so prevalent, in fact, that a TikToker named Cast the Rock Wilson created the best TikTok song, basically, <laughs> about this phenomenon on a dating app. You should check it out. It's really funny. But to me, when a guy says, I don't want to date a girl who takes herself too seriously, or he wants somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously, To me, it reads as if they're looking for somebody who doesn't care if the situation is casual. They want somebody carefree and spontaneous and all of that, which truthfully, I'm not that person. And I feel like a lot of women also aren't. I think most women on the dating apps are probably looking for more than just a casual hookup. But again, to me, it's so transparent. But I feel like guys think they're smart when they say stuff like this on their profile. They think they're like pulling the wool over your eyes. But They're really saying that they want somebody easygoing who's not going to like force their hand to be in a relationship. That's at least what I get from it. I could be wrong, but 
I don't think I've ever swiped right on a guy with that in his dating profile, to be honest. And I mentioned this one before, but another one that really annoys me is when people say they're looking for somebody who's active or somebody who enjoys going to the gym like they do. And I, I can appreciate that they're looking for somebody who also lives an active lifestyle, like say who wants to go on runs or wants to go hike. Like there are other ways to say it without sounding like a jackass. I feel like more often than not though, it's just clear that that person is just wanting someone thin and fit, not necessarily that they're going to be doing super fun, active things, you know, on trips and that kind of thing. I feel like there's a better way to differentiate that. And these guys are just doing it because they want somebody thin. Another thing I see all the time on men's dating app profiles is them talking about how they're sarcastic, whether it's like, if you should not go out with me, if you can't handle sarcasm, as if sarcasm is like some unique quality they have. I feel like every guy thinks that they're sarcastic. It's like not, (laughs) it doesn't make you special, but yet you, you just see it all the time. And then something that I see pretty often here in Texas is people bragging about not being vaccinated. And then like last week, I think I swiped left on a guy that said something like, we'll get along if you weren't dumb enough to get one of the vaccines. Like just putting that in your profile makes it a part of your personality. Like it it makes me think you don't have one. (laughs) So I, I definitely don't swipe right on those people. It's just like the arrogance and the and the air of thinking they're smarter than everyone else, like put, putting that in your profile is like just the easiest red flag to spot ever, like swipe left immediately. And then the last one for me, that's kind of a big red flag too, is when people start with negative prompts. So say they say, you shouldn't go out with me if, or I'll be this, you don't be this. It's like, if you bring negativity to the conversation, expect negativity. I feel like you're just not going to have a positive experience when you're complaining or posting about things that you don't want in a partner versus posting about things you do want in a partner. I just feel like it's just not the right way to go about things, starting with negativity. So I generally don't swipe right on accounts that have those negative kinds of prompts. Now let's go through the ones that you guys submitted. And these are bad. And I'm sure I've come across ones like this before, but it's been a while. Like I said, I'm just now back on the apps and it's just not coming to me. But one person said there was a prompt that said, you have to be okay with me prioritizing work over you. No, thanks. (laughs) The next person said no single moms, which is pretty offensive. And I would bet they still want to have their own kids, but they're just not interested in dealing with other people's kids. So. You're dodging a bullet if you don't swipe right on that person. Okay, the next one says, I'm looking for a caring woman, not a smart one. I wonder how many people have swiped right on that guy. Can't imagine very many. It's like guys are trying to be single forever. The next one will make everyone angry. No fatties, which I it's it's just more out there than the I'm looking for somebody active who likes to go to the gym being so specific about that. But like, again, what, what girl, whether she was thin or fat would look at that and be like, I want to date this guy. That's disgusting. It's like these guys think they're being funny and clever and whatever by putting that in their profile. But again, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Like, I don't think anyone would be attracted to that when they see that, whether they're in a thin body or not. And then another one, which is very similar, it says, I like to hook up with fatties, but only date size four and below. 
Again, what size four woman would read that and be like, oh, that's my guy. Like, what? Another one. There's a lot with body stuff. Looking for someone who weighs no more than 135 pounds. I wouldn't make the cut. That's for damn sure. Like, that's not, that's so specific. And it doesn't account for anything, whether that person, somebody might be really muscular and over 135 pounds and really fit. Like, this person isn't smart. It also doesn't account for height. Like there aren't that many people over 5'9 that are under 135 pounds. All right, this next one reads, the prompt said ideal first date and his response was something you'd have to sign a waiver for. Now, if there were emojis used, I feel like it would be more clear what they're referring to, but I'm I'm kind of thinking they mean something dangerous, not necessarily something Christian Grey style, but either way, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not going to go skydiving with you. I'm also not going to sign a waiver for you to be my dom. (laughs) I'm not going to be your submissive. So either way, signing a waiver for the first date is not going to be an ideal first date for me. All right. This next one reads green flags. I look for is someone's biological parents being together. When I was much younger, I actually agreed with this, but obviously as I've gotten older and been witness to a like mature adult relationships, not everyone who is married is happy. So like, I don't think that's a great predictor of success in your relationship with their kid. Also, it doesn't account for dead parents. <laughs> but again, it's not something that you would want to see in a dating app profile. I feel like this is something you'd want to suss out. Like, do do the person's parents have a good relationship, whether they're together or not? Did they raise them with good values and that kind of thing? That's more important than if the parents are actually still together, I think. This next one is actually oppressive. It's depressing. It says, looking for a woman who doesn't work and only wears dresses or skirts, no pants. What kind of society do they think we're living in? Again, does he think think he's going to have success putting this in his profile? I don't understand. I just can't imagine any woman would swipe right on a guy like that. But there must be some level of success because I think he would quickly figure out that he wasn't matching with anyone. (laughs) I don't know. All right. This next one's pretty funny. You should only swipe right if you don't want to leave the bedroom. Like, get over yourself. You're not the only person on the planet who likes to have sex. Like, this is the dumbest thing (laughs) I've ever seen. It's such like a wannabe cool guy thing to say. Like, he thinks he sounds like a badass by putting that in his profile. And it just makes him sound ridiculous. This next one says a woman who can run the household, but relinquish control once told. (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, this sounds like a guy who's a dom looking for a sub, very Christian gray. Um, Certainly not something I'm interested (laughs) being part of. And then this last one will infuriate everyone. I think (laughs) must give not receive. Who is this DJ Khaled? Get out of here. I think the thing that's like most concerning to me about all of these prompts is that men feel totally comfortable saying all of this and confident in saying it because they can get away with it and they know they can get away with it. It's infuriating. Ladies, it's up to us to put a stop to this because they're certainly not going to. Do not swipe right on anyone who has any of these things in their dating app profile. I just, I can't. It's it it's bleak out there, you guys. And I know that the pool is small. I know that dating is rough these days, but like don't settle for any any of the, the props that you just heard. Don't settle for any of that. 
Stay strong out there, you guys. Know your worth. (laughs) All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider giving Beck and Call a five-star rating and writing a review. And be sure to follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast. You can also follow me at Merit Beck for more fashion, travel, and lifestyle content. And I will catch you guys next week. Bye.